I play, uh, so there's like a bunch of streams that I think are coming from my brain that hopefully will flow into a river and make sense. So uh, I have a bunch of things I want to say, but I wanted to come to this point where it actually it, it's logical and, and comes together. But one of the games I play every Sunday morning is what will the worship team do that will connect to what I'm going to say without us ever talking about it. And it happens every single week. So one of the texts I'm going to use this morning has to do with nations and kings listening to God's voice. One of the texts we'll look at. Now, here's what's going to happen. This is a stream. You need your Bibles today. We're going to do a Bible study. We're going to, like, we're going to be all over the scriptures. And so, like, if, if, you're, if you're familiar with your phone, you can just be like, bop, 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 and get through it. Sweet. It's good. I'm not, I don't have the luxury of that this morning. We're going to be bouncing all over the place because I want to, I want to build um, the, the Christian word of the year is framework. The, the one that was last year, 2020, is pivot. But I want to I kind of build a framework of, of some of the content or topic that we're going to talk about. Now, the, the big theme this morning is perseverance. And it's a loaded word that has a lot of, um, a lot of uh, just things that we kind of like assume and talk about. And there's, you, we could produce an entire um, series, an eight-part series, on the, the biblical idea or biblical uh, theology of perseverance. And we're not going to do that. I'm going to emphasize just one area, and then we're going to kind of unpack it from there. But, I, but the, one of the streams that's going through my brain is, is Christianity, following Jesus, is, can't be a fad. It can't be a hobby. It can't be this thing that we like to do when we're younger, and then we get over it and we move on. Um, I think the world, and this is a big phrase, the world is trying to teach followers of Jesus that it's only a fad. And it's been that way since the first century. They'll eventually get over it. They'll, they'll be done with it. Um, it'll, it'll, it'll finally, you'll be done. Like, when we're kids, we're into a lot of different things. And we're into, like, like collecting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a little bit about me. Uh, and it isn't a fad. It actually, I still do it. I collect sports cards. Now, I've given it up every now and again and put it, on, put it to rest and said, I'm going to ignore this for a while. This is not just a, this hobby is becoming all-consuming. But then eventually I'll be like, let me, let me go into my, my garage and my man cave and get my boxes out. And, and I like collecting sports cards. Now, I don't buy sports cards like I used to, partly because it became an adult hobby. Like, it's a, too expensive. It's like collecting guns. It's really, really expensive to do. And, and collecting sports cards has become an, a, a very expensive hobby. When I was a child, it was during what's called, I'm going to give you information you couldn't care less about, but it's going to show you a little bit about me, and I think hopefully one of those streams that's going to go into the river to help us understand that Christianity is not a fad. It's got, there's a thing that happens inside of us when we, when we fall in love with Jesus to where we persevere through all the time. So when I started collecting baseball cards, and I started with baseball cards, baseball is my favorite sport, we had, a, we had a little shop, wasn't a card shop, it was called Ben's Rexall. You ever heard of a Ben's Rexall? And at Ben's Rexall, I grew up in the, what's called the junk wax era of card collecting, meaning that I could pay a quarter for a package of baseball cards, specifically 86, 87, um, and I would go in and you'd get a stick of gum, which was fabulous. You'd chew some gum and you'd work on your baseball cards and look through it. And the whole point of baseball cards in the 80s and early 90s was to build a set. You're building your set. And so uh, a Topps baseball set, anybody 
familiar? Topps Baseball has, typically has 792 cards. That's like in the junk wax era, that's kind of the, the going number. Now it's like 660. They're moving it, they're trying to make it more obscure and like, and they, they create all kinds of other things. But here's what happened. In the, in the 80s and early 90s, I would go and buy my quarter pack, right? So what if I'm working in the field as like a 12-year-old and I make 80 bucks in a month, that buys a lot of baseball cards, a lot of baseball cards. So I would go down to Ben's Rexall right next to Lauderbaugh Bakery, buy a donut and, and two bucks worth of baseball cards, eight packs. And so one of the great joys that I still have today is opening packages of cards. Now, those packages of cards that are qu were a quarter when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old are now like 40 bucks for a pack. In fact, my knowledge of the hobby grew so much that during the pandemic, I walked into a Target and I saw uh, all of these basketball cards. And I was like, these are way underpriced. And I bought every single one of them, every one of the boxes, and I sold them on eBay within the day and made about $600. Within the day. That's the hobby has become an adult adventure. Now, the thing with hobbies, and try to make this connection, the thing with hobbies is when you're passionate about it and, it, and it persists beyond like this range of like eight to 12, it becomes part of who you are and you just, and you might not always reach in and grab it. You might not, but there's times where you like, you, you go and enjoy it and you want to bring people along with you and, and, and like say, hey, join me in this hobby adventure. Hey, do you want to come to, and so I have two boys, and I've brought them along in collecting sports cards. They're interested in collecting sports cards. And so their knowledge base on, on cards has elevated. They, they can't afford, and frankly, we can't afford to buy cards like you, we used to, but I've brought people along with me. Now I have two sons who are interested, so we, can, we have that thing to talk about. And it's kind of this thing that's just persisted in my life. It's, it's persevered every up and down of the card collecting world, right? So in the late 90s, I'm, this is a long story maybe, in the late 90s they changed baseball card, football card, basketball card games. Instead of just having cards, they started creating uh, parallels. And then they started putting memorabilia and autographs into cards. And they started to make uh, what's called a short print card. So instead of having a thousand or a hundred thousand of one player, there might be 25. Or a card would be serial numbered, so it created an increased value. So like if you, if you opened up a pack and you're going through and you're like common, 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 and you ran on a player that's a, a star and, and then it was like numbered from five to 25, you're like, whoa, there's only 25 of this card that exists in the world. Then, as the internet comes along and eBay becomes a thing, now everybody can wheel and deal cards online. And nobody, and so that creates a market that's way different than what it used to be. Again, that hobby in my life has persisted. So much so that two days ago, I got my box out and I started looking through what I, you know, do I have some stuff that has some value? I do have some stuff that has some value. Things I bought in the 90s who are like goats, I have their rookie card. Rookie is their first year car. I have tons of them. I probably have $80,000 in street value. Now that's the work of trying to sell it all. I can't probably get 80,000, but if you were to just add it all up, that's persistent. I'm 44 years old. I started when I was 10. It's not a fad for me anymore. It's part of my life. Christianity Following Jesus can't be a fad. It has to persist. 
It has to persevere. It has to work through the ups and downs, the highs and the lows of the market, the, the bad times, the good times, when it becomes too hard to do it. Now that phrase, that thing, that the, the, the friction that we're talking about is called in the Bible, affliction. There's a biblical word for it, and it's talked about. Now we're going to do a Bible study. But what ends up happening, I think, a lot of times is we have these rocket type of experiences to where we attach ourselves to Jesus, we go to a church where people love us and care for us, we're raised up in the church and there's people that surround us and we get baptized and we go to church camp and we're just on fire and maybe we do a missions trip, a couple of youth trips, and then we move on to college and we're faced with this difference in what our worldview is. So the way in which we view God in his earth and how we fit into that comes up against friction, affliction. And affliction comes in many shapes and sizes. So let's go through affliction. But the point is, I didn't finish that thought. You get to college, and this is where we start to see a, a potential of, of those falling away. And Christianity became a fad. It's something that feels good in the moment. I'm going to utilize it and play it and do the game right now. But at some point, I'll move away from it. You know, that was when I was a kid. I'm an adult now. I know better. Those kind of conversations I've had with grown men and women who have said, yeah, that was, I was 10. I didn't know any better. The scripture talks about this. And this, the follower of Jesus has to tie in to perseverance or their faith will become a fad. So let's look at, let's look at affliction. Let's just run through scriptures and look at affliction. And I'm at, um, affliction, physical, mental, uh, spiritual, um, friction or pushback in your life. That's affliction. And, and it's translated, there's 13 different words in the scriptures. And I'm not even going to give them to you. But it all means affliction. And there's ways in which affliction looks. So here, let's go, let's go to Exodus. Exodus 1. Now we're going to work through a lot of scriptures. So there's an Old Testament picture of affliction. Exodus chapter 1. So the Old Testament identifies many, many forms of affliction. And, and one of the ways that it, it looks at it is this national affliction. So like God's people, his chosen people, they created a nation, the Israelites. And now they regularly talk about how the world is against them. That's like a national or a political affliction. And they're, and they're up against the world. So uh, Exodus 1 verse 11 says this. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build cities and on and on and on. And, and the first part of Exodus is about the affliction of God's people. Now, the, the, the writers aren't here aren't just giving you history. They're painting a picture of what God's people are up against. And that's an important thing for us to grab as God's people. We're up against something. There's a, there's a pressure that's pushing back on us. All right, so there's this... There's this uh, political or national affliction. There's also this social or like or or a, um, a perversion of what God told me to do to where I naturally end up in a bad space. Turn with me to Psalm 10 really quick. And, we're gonna, and I'm going to read Psalm 129 in a second, but we're going to talk about affliction for just a little bit more. And then I'm going to give you the psalm for this morning, Psalm 129, and you're going to hear the perseverance phrases in there. So Psalm 10 says this about 
and it's not using the word, it's using one of the biblical words of affliction. It's not saying affliction specifically, but Psalm uh, 10, verse 18. Oops. Let me go to the page. And I'm going to pick up at 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The godless nations will vanish from the land. The Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring, and this is the word, justice. You will satisfy the fight that we're up against. You will fix the problem or the friction that we're experiencing. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed so mere people can no longer terrify them. So again, it's God's people fighting against some sort of worldly entity, a government, oppression, but, but the God's people saying, you will fix this, and we're facing this affliction. We need to get, and only you, God, can satisfy or fix it. The other way, uh, there's moral affliction where, where God is punishing uh, those or allowing sin, sin to uh, have its way in people's life. Read the book of Job. All of Job is about the, the, the plight of affliction and, and using multiple words. There's natural affliction of the earth. I'm not even going to get to those texts right now because I want to move into the New Testament. And then there's spiritual affliction, again, Job, but there's, where the earth is groaning and crying and things are happening in the world. And even the psalmist write about, about the wonders, but also the, the darkness of the sea and the hurt and, and the evil of this world that's fighting against God's people. Now, in order for us to understand how we have to persevere and that we're supposed to persevere, we need to understand that there's an enemy. There's something pushing back against us. Because many times, if you don't acknowledge that and you don't step into the fight or step into the battle, it will become a fad. And it does become a fad. Because you're like, I just don't really want to fight that. I don't want to really want to get involved in that. I don't, want to, I don't necessarily want to feel that sort of pressure today. Again, the word pressure is another synonym for affliction. It's hard when you're walking with the Lord sometimes and you feel the pressure of the world pushing back on your decision making. This is not a political statement, no, so don't, don't hear, hear me, just this is, it is what it is. The Wyoming church and the Mich Michigan church, because I have intimate knowledge, have a completely different view on the current pandemic. A completely different view. And both churches are trying to filter it through some sort of biblical understanding of who God is. And my argument in there is we're, we're fighting the same pandemic, but we're, we're trying to understand it through human terms and our own comfort. So when comfort comes in to the following of Jesus, it leans towards being a fact. I took a break from collecting cards from like 2008 to 2015. Two reasons. Financial comfort. 2008, what was happening in the world? Financial crisis. Everybody took pay cuts at work. We, were, we lived in the epicenter of the housing crisis, Detroit. All, all of our homes lost like 80% value in one day. So all of a sudden, that disposable $12 a week to buy some sports cards wasn't there. The pressure of the world began to inform my decisions, so I took a break. Apply that to walking with the Lord. The pressure of the world pushes against walking with Jesus, so I'm just going to take a break. I understand being a believer in Jesus and collecting sports cards are not the same thing. 
But I want to use that illustration to help you capture that, the, that what happens when we make Jesus a hobby, we forego the concept of perseverance, and we succumb to the affliction regularly. Let's look at the New Testament, what the New Testament says about affliction. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12. Now, Paul regularly is talking about all the things that he's facing, all the things that have come up against him, all the things that have hurt him or, or punched him in the mouth. I'm going to say this. One of the worst things out there, now here's the deal. Well, you gave the illustration about fighting the pandemic to the Wyoming church and the Michigan church. The church fights with each other and hurts one another and actually causes affliction towards one another. And what's even worse than that is when the church eats its own people. And it, it wounds one another in that process. And so this thing that we might be teetering on walking with Jesus, the worst thing that can happen is when we come along and we, we start rebuking people for the sake of our own comfort and our own wants and our own convenience and our own whatever it is for us. It's one of the worst things as a student minister, former student ministry pastor. I'm glad that's in my past, by the way. When we wound 17-year-old kids and tell them that they're bad and wrong and they're screwing up, we have set them on a path to where Jesus has just become a fad in their life. Now, I know that's a little sub-sermon, but that's what happens. And we can't have that happen here. There's going to be kids that are going to come through here and are going to struggle and are going to... I mean, we confess that in front of you guys with our own child who's had some wayward experiences. And thank the Lord people have come and wrapped their arms around him and loved him and built him up and cared for him and prayed for him. But that doesn't always happen. And it makes Jesus into a hobby that can't sustain the pressure. Well, listen to what Paul says. The thorn of my flesh. Verse, I'm going to uh, skip up to verse 6. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Well, Paul is just giving credit where credit's due. Affliction isn't a God thing. Affliction is a thing that God's people experience. The king of the, and the rulers of this world want to cause God's people to say, eh, I'm going to hang it up. I'm done. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I'm tired of it. Turn with me over to Romans 5, another, another uh, little passage from Paul just to continue to get a New Testament perspective on this idea of, of affliction and that we're, that we're fighting against us. Um, Romans 5, verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know that how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Paul's experiencing this affliction, but saying, but if we just fight on or fight through, it will develop character and strength and we'll be able to claim the hope that we're doing right now. So then what happens is the hobby isn't a hobby anymore. It's your life. 
and it's who you are. It's not something you tinker with on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon or go to an event. So one of the best things about cards card collecting is you get to go to all these sports events all over the nation. And you can go and there's people setting up, wheeling and dealing their stuff. And you go in and it's one of the best things about collecting sports cards is going to like a, a card show. It's like if you're a gun owner, it's like going to a gun show. It's awesome to walk around and look what everybody has and maybe make some trades and wheel and deal and buy some new stuff and sell some of your old stuff. That's fun. That's part of, and in Christianity, that's called camp. To where we, we send our people to these events and they experience the high points of the, of the hobby and we take them back to the place where they get beat up over and over and over again and they face the affliction of the world. Now, why am I being, I'm not being negative. I want to paint a biblical picture that we're up against a thing. And in order to persevere, you have to know your enemy. So, affliction is inevitable. It's a part of our human existence. We're going to get older. I remember when I turned 40 years old, my eyesight went. It's just, I, like, I woke up October 13th, and I couldn't see the same way I could see the day before. We're all fighting time. This world is battling against us. It's inevitable that we'll experience some sort of pressure, affliction. And the believer needs to find comfort in this infliction, affliction, because we know that God sees, he knows, he's aware. Exodus 3, 7 is a beautiful picture of God saying, I see you, I see your oppression, I see your people, my people, I see you crying for help. I want to rescue you. And then the story of Moses begins. We get a picture of how affliction will end in 2 Corinthians 4, and I'll read that later on in this talk. That this hope that we have, that, that, that we're, we're either we're wasting away on the outside, but we're being renewed for eternal glory. So as a response to affliction, we have, again, know our enemy, we have to fight back. One of the ways that the, that the, that the follower of Jesus goes from it being a hobby to a lifestyle is when we start to attach prayer to our daily activities. A 30-second prayer, a 30-minute prayer, it doesn't matter. When you start to attach prayer to your daily activity, you, you begin to move from hobby to lifestyle. It's one of the greatest battles against affliction. Let me read the psalm this morning, Psalm 129. This is an interesting way that the psalmist starts. This is our psalm for the morning, talking about perseverance. From the earliest... From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me. Let all of Israel repeat this. Verse 2, from my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me, but they have never defeated me. My back is covered with cuts, as if a farmer had plowed along furrows, but the Lord is good. He has cut me free from the ropes of the ungodly. May all who hate Jerusalem be turned back in shameful defeat. May they be as useless as grass on a rooftop. Turn, turning yellow when only half grown. You get that illustration? There's no soil for it to gain roots, so it just burns off on the roof. May, you, may these people be useless. Affliction, persecution is going to go away, is what the psalmist is saying. 
ignored by the harvester, despised by the binder, and may those who pass by refuse to give them blessing. The Lord bless you. He, we bless you in the Lord's name. Again, this is about perseverance and understanding the enemy. The psalmist is saying, you have persecuted me, you have persecuted me. I'm going to say it twice that you persecuted me. I'm going to repeat it. You have persecuted me, but you have never defeated me. Walking through affliction and understanding your persecution as a follower of Jesus is called perseverance. When you walk through the trial, that is perseverance. That's what it is. Understanding as I journey through this mess that I'm journeying through, whether it's my own creation, whether it's somebody fighting against me, whether it's just the, the torment of old, getting older in life, this is me walking through the trial. And that is perseverance. That walk, step by step, fighting forward together is perseverance. At the core of Casper Alliance Church, our vision st statement says, we will have perseverance through this. It is a critical part of being a follower of Jesus to have perseverance as one of your weapons because it turns a hobby or a fad into a lifestyle. And that is critical to sustain. One of the things that I think we're going to do this fall is we'll have some of our older believers who've been Christians for 50, 60 years uh, when we go through the Revelation series uh, talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus over the decades. Our perspective, my perspective on following Jesus has been smooth sailing. Sure, there's been some war and some terrorism and things like that, but it's been easy. The church life has been easy. And it, it'll be interesting, and we're going to do this on some Sunday night stuff and some Wednesday night thing, to, to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years and the perseverance that it requires. Because when God, when God was uh, speaking to John and he was writing Revelation, this was about perseverance. It was about fighting through the fight. It was about standing up, stepping out, and saying, we're in it. We're going to mix it up with those pushing back against us. Because we understand how the story goes. Now, let's get a little bit deeper into perseverance, and then we'll end it. Because I have, and I'm going to give you the, the capstone phrase that we're going to end. Perseverance, write it down if you're a writer down person. Tweet it if you tweet it. Put it on Facebook. Perseverance creates purpose. Perseverance creates purpose. One of the reasons I do think so many believers fall away is because, they, first of all, they have a tough time persevering. And there's not that bridge or link to purpose. When somebody doesn't have purpose, they are just, they'll go wherever. I don't mean to bag on millennials. Millennials are awesome. But many and many are struggling to find purpose in this world. The depression rates are high. Self-harm is high. Job change is high. Chaos is high. Purpose gives you a reason to wake up, to step out, to step up, to do good, to accomplish what God's called you to do purpose. You have to weather the storm. 
the affliction, the friction, for at least a little bit of time to understand that you have purpose. Did I flip over pages too fast? I think I did. Okay. So when we look at affliction and, and, and purpose and perseverance and, and through the story of Scripture, which we could have, I, I had a thousand verses I could have gone through and I just make it now. We see at the very beginning of Genesis, Genesis 3.16, the phrase is, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. From the beginning of Scripture, Jesus has been the one who will be afflicted but solve the affliction. He will be the one that will take it on but give us a reason to fight forward. So Satan struck at Jesus throughout his entire life. When Jesus stepped out of Bethlehem and stepped into ministry, the first thing he did was went to be tempted by Satan. Tempted. That's, his life was attack, 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 attack. Everywhere he went, everything he did, he was pushed against. And he continued as he persevered through that to have a divine purpose as he walked the earth. And the verses that describe Jesus... Uh, really well in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crucified or crushed for our iniquities, his punishment that brought us peace was upon him, we are like sheep have gone astray, each of us have turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, he took all of that punishment, pain, affliction for us to have purpose, but it gave him purpose while he lived, he's the picture of perseverance, it's a lot of peas. So Jesus was attacked. He was oppressed. The scriptures speak all over. This is Psalm 2. Turn me to Psalm 2 real quick. This is the one that I was, I was referencing. That I was, It's always a fun game, what's going to happen during the worship set in me and then uh, and what I'm going to say. Psalm 2 is where it's at. Why are the nations so angry? This is prophetic for today. Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from the slavery of God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have, a pla I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. When the psalmist in 129 says, the enemies have persecuted me, the enemies have persecuted me, they've done these things, but God is good, he loves me, and he blesses me, and he will never let me go, he's cut me free from this bondage. He's looking back, the psalmist is looking back at Psalm 2, and saying, look at all these people being angry, and wasting their time. And look at what they even say. Let us break the chains and stop being slaves to God. The one in heaven laughs at them. The Lord scoffs at them and he rebukes them. God is on our side. We need to capture that to have perseverance. God is on our side. When we think about perseverance, we have to acknowledge God's sovereignty over creation. That he's on our team. He's on our side. He's for us, with us. And he rescued us from sin through Christ's death. So then when we persevere, we have purpose. Because Jesus lives, we also live. Because Jesus 
died and was raised again, we also have hope to fight another day. And because he has been victorious, we shall be victorious. Victory is not gained by avoiding the world's struggles or friction or affliction. That's not where victory happens. Victory happens when we run into the fire. Jesus said in this world, in John 6, it's going to give me a lot of trouble. Take heart, I have, John 16, I'm sorry. Take heart, I've overcome the world. See, our Savior, our sanctifier, our healer, our coming King has conquered all of this. And so we have uh, been called to persevere through it. All right, it's a lot of words. The perseverance of faith is not a fad. It's not taken up as a hobby to be discarded when the next shiny thing comes along. It is lasting and tries to convince others to come along for the bumpy ride. The perseverance of faith is not a hobby. Jesus is not a hobby. Not a hobby. When you persevere through affliction, it gives you purpose. Over the years, there's been lots of things that have tried to take my attention away from sports card collecting. Comic books, golf, children. But baseball cards are my lifestyle. And it's always persisted. And every now and again, I go take them back out and I look at my original set that I collected, 1987 top set, and I'll go through it and I go, wow, this is fun. And I just touch and feel these cards. And I get excited in it again. And so, funny little story, quick one, is I was like playing with my cards and I was like, ah, I want to buy a car. Hopefully Adriana isn't listening because I bought a car. She's in the nursery. I'm like, oh, one of my favorite football players is getting inducted to the Hall of Fame, Calvin Johnson. I don't know if you know that name. He's a Detroit Lion. I'm like, you know what? I want a Calvin Johnson rookie card. So I went out on eBay, and I was like, oh, he's getting inducted this weekend. I don't want people are pricing that in yet. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm not even going to bid on it. I'm just going to buy it now. Anybody buy anything on eBay? Buy it now. Let's just be done with it. No conversation. It's mine. I found a Topps Chrome Rookie card, that means nothing to any of you guys. It means something to me. I'm like, 12 bucks, bought it. My rookie card. It'll come while I, you know, the next week, and I'll put it in my little box, and it'll be there. But touching the cards reminded me how much I love and love this hobby. And it forced me to dive in a little bit more, a little bit more. And I'm joking about it being a lifestyle. But catch the illustration. When Jesus and following Christ isn't just a hobby, but becomes a lifestyle, whenever you touch and taste and have a little bit of connection with something, whether it's a devotional time, whether it's showing up on Sunday morning for church, whether it's a worship experience, whether it's some prayer time, you fall back in love. When John goes to the church in Laodicea and says, you've lost your first love, He's saying, my paraphrase, you've made Jesus a hobby. Turn it into a lifestyle. Because as soon as you come back and start to touch it, taste it, you've just stuck it back in. 
And all of you who have like lifelong hobbies know what I'm exactly what I'm talking about. Know exactly what I'm talking about. And so it needs to shift, and perseverance does that. Shift it from just I'm gonna do it for a little while and then get over it, and to becoming who you are, changing who you are. Now let's get one last text and then I'll be done. Second Corinthians four is a picture of the battle of affliction and the promise of what happens as you persevere. We're going to pick up with verse 7. Now, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We, are, we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies, suffering, affliction, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. See, Paul's making this connection here that as you suffer physically and people see that and you proclaim Jesus or being a follower of Christ or saying Jesus is my life, people see him, not necessarily you. They don't go, and I don't want to continue to elevate this so much. I'm telling you, if you spent six minutes with Beth Ayan, you don't see Beth Ayan and her frailty. If you spent six minutes with Kathy, you didn't see Kathy and her cancer. You saw life in Jesus because this affliction that's on the outside gets melted away by the person of Jesus Christ living through the inside. And that's perseverance. So many times a follower of Jesus throws it to the side and says, I can't do it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. It's enough. I can't run against this wall anymore. But there's a promise here that it's not about you. And what you're doing on this world and what you're showing through persevering through the struggle, through the suffering, through the affliction is, is about Jesus. And, he see, and the world is seeing that it's a gospel presentation to everybody you come in contact with. When you're proclaiming Jesus Christ, it's how you can share your faith. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life. We continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be a great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory again. It's not about you. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. To have perseverance, there is an eternal vision that you must have. 
to handle the suffering, the affliction, the torment, the strife, the disappointment, all the, the negative words that we experience in friction every single day as followers of Jesus. If you have a, a momentary view, if you're looking at the now and not the eternal, you will turn Jesus into a hobby. And you will put it aside when it's uh, inconvenient, and you will take it on when it's convenient. And that is one of the most, uh, that's one of the things I think I want to rebuke the church, not our church, but the global church, that we've made Jesus into a card-collecting hobby. That as long as things are good, I'm going to continue to collect and do, do the stuff. But as when it gets hard, I'm going to put it in a box, put it in my closet, put it in the garage, and I'm going to do things myself. Because Jesus can't help me right now. That's not an eternal view. That's a momentary now view. And that's not what the church is supposed to be. We are the front lines of the battle. The eternal battle that's waging right now and raging. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. Watch the news for six minutes. The church needs to be there. No more shells. We can't turtle up and hide and hope it passes. That's saying affliction's got too much on me. I'm, gonna ba- I'm not going to battle today. Let's not make Jesus into a hobby. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our church. Continue to teach us, help us, make us grow. Help us to battle every day. Lord, I, I pray that as we put some, some of the things we say in theory uh, into practice, Lord, I, I know what's coming this fall, that we have a lot of tools that we're going to open up for the church to help the church actually not just talk about it, but put this, these things that we're saying into practice. And so, Lord, help us to shape those well so that we can be on the front lines in battle. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, have a great day, guys.